Father. Thank you for the privilege of rejoicing, the privilege of knowing who to thank. I see the colors, Lord, on sweaters, green and red. I hear music that's mind-blowing. I thank you that my ears are able to hear and brain comprehend and my tongue can move in response. We thank you that we can rejoice. Color and sound, heated building, family and friends and fellow believers to share all the joy with. We rejoice. Thank you that we know who to thank. And thank you, Lord, that you are moving this world one day closer to the culmination of all things when the peace for which Jesus died will be full I thank you that today we're a part of advancing that peace, proclaiming it. Or thank you that I get to preach the peace that Jesus died for, the peace that we're waiting for. Keep us faithful in our waiting. Lord, I know that there are some here. The waiting is excruciating. So bless them, whether you choose to do that through the music through the, the deep truth of the text, encourage them in their waiting that it's worth it. Lord, keep us all waiting until our time on earth is done. And Father, we also wait in expectation of the power of the Holy Spirit. So now I ask, oh God, that you would take these black letters on this white page and turn them into the words of the living God so that life change, heart change, revolutionize our life, O oh God, with the power of the Son of God, the love of Christ. Thank you that there is forgiveness for all who will say, forgive me. And there is a new start for everybody who says, wipe away my past. And we do that. I do that right now. And we rejoice in our newness. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. In 33 years of ministry, I have never begun a service uh, this close to Christmas or the Sunday before Christmas with a baby dedication. But we did that at the 845 service because I thought, as I was planning my December preaching schedule, that there would be nothing more fitting then for a group of families to dedicate their child in lieu of the text that I'm preaching today, and that is the dedication of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. When you look at the dedication of Jesus Christ when his parents, that first baby dedication, it really is a two-step process in the life of Christ. Step one was circumcision. Luke 2, 21 on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him. I love this verse because it is a reminder of what happened in the life of Joseph the night when the angel Gabriel came to him and said, the girl that you're engaged to is pregnant. The Holy Spirit has come into her life, into her womb, and you are to name the baby Jesus. Matthew 1, she'll give birth to a son. And you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So eight days after Jesus was born, a priest came, met with Mary and Joseph, 
and they circumcised him according to Jewish law. But because he was the firstborn son into their family, there was a part two of this dedication, and that occurred 32 days later, or day 40 after his birth. When the time came, that's a reference to day 40, for the purification rites required by the law of Moses for, uh, for a new mom to be clean, according to Jewish law, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. I've always loved the last few verses of this baby dedication of Mary and Joseph because if you had money, the law commanded that you bring a lamb or a goat. But the parents of our Lord were so poor, there was provision made in the law for the poor, and they could bring two doves or two pigeons. So you have, to dedicate Christ, two parts. Day 8 was circumcision, and day 40 was a presentation of him at the temple. So now the question, which is the reason for my text this morning, why was there a second dedication in the life of Jesus Christ? And the answer biblically is because he was the firstborn male in the life of a Jewish family. And there was always a dedication of the firstborn male. And this occurred because of an event that happened centuries earlier. Israel, the Jewish nation, was living in the geographic boundaries of Egypt as slaves. Egypt was the world power and Israel was uh, enslaved within those borders of Egypt. And God came to Egypt on ten different occasions and said, let Israel go, don't hold them as slaves. They were severely judged by God, Egypt was severely judged by God with a penalty because they wouldn't listen. God said, I'm going to take the life of every firstborn son because you wouldn't let my people go. But for Israel who live within the land, they were not judged. When the angel of death passed over the land of Egypt, Israel was spared. There was no death in those homes because they had sprinkled the blood of a lamb on the doorpost of every house. And so when God came over in judgment, Israel was spared. And so now... Every time a baby was born, firstborn male, Jews would go to the temple and they would dedicate that child as an act of praise, rejoicing for mercy that had come to the entire nation on this night centuries earlier. So you need to understand what's happening at the baby dedication of Jesus Christ. Mary and Joseph dedicate him according to Jewish law, remembering back saying, we dedicate our son to you. Because centuries earlier, you, God, substituted a lamb for the life of every firstborn male in Israel. And we praise you for that mercy. That's what they're doing. But remember, Jesus Christ also had his true father at that dedication, God. And God was dedicating Jesus, saying, this time there will not be a lamb that is given for mercy to be shown to Israel and to you who are here today in Spartanburg 2,000 years later. There will be my son. So they're dedicating Christ in reference to the lamb. 
God the Father is dedicating Jesus because the cross is coming. Someone sent me this the earth, uh, last week. This is the season, Christmas. This is the reason, the cross. And this is what was happening at the, ba- at the baby dedication of Jesus Christ. Because God gave his only son to a manger and a cross, heaven is now open to every man, woman, and child who will place their faith in Jesus Christ. Because this was the most special baby dedication ever, God sent a very special man to be the lead voice for Christ's dedication. Verse 25 of Luke 2. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So many things to love about this verse and about this man, Simeon. First, he was called righteous. When the Bible refers to somebody as righteous, it's referring to somebody who, is, who has been made right with God because of their reliance on God. They have no boast in their own works. They have no confidence in their own goodness. They are casting themselves on the grace and mercy of God. So they're the opposite of self-righteous. Self-righteous people, do, they believe that they are already good enough for heaven. They see no need for God. They see no need for church because they believe, I am made righteous by my self-attainments. It's the opposite of righteous. He's a God-reliant man versus self-reliant man. But the scripture says he was also devout. He was a God-pursuing, not just God-reliant, God-pursuing man. He was, as you would say, all in. Nothing mattered to him more than knowing and doing the will of God. And he was sustained through these many years of waiting for Christ because he knew eventually the consolation of Israel was coming as he waited. The word consolation comes from the same word that we would see in the, whole, in, in the scripture that refers to the Holy Spirit. Consolation is the word Holy Spirit, comforter. So he's waiting there in the temple day after day for the nation of Israel and all the nations of the earth to be comforted by the coming of this man in verse 26 says, It had been revealed to Simeon he would not die until he saw this man come. The Old Testament was filled with prophecies that there was going to be a supernatural, appointed, anointed man that was coming to bring hope to the whole world. Simeon had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until the... Um, until Christ was born. And I love this. It was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. Three times in this text, you will see, you will see the word, the Holy Spirit led Simeon to do this or to do that. I want to tell you, this is what the Christian life is all about. I'm preaching on Luke 2.21 today because the Holy Spirit told me to do it. I was in staff meeting three weeks ago and Melanie came and said, would it be okay if we dedicated some children, a family, a baby dedication on Christmas morning, Sunday. And when she said that, I said, yes, and I want to tie that to Luke 2.21, the dedication of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit did that. This is what God wants for you to enjoy, that the Holy Spirit really does have a path for you. He has people 
and events that you can influence. And he wants to lead you. You have to choose, though, whether or not you're going to be led by the Holy Spirit or led by sin. So every day, Simeon comes to the temple and he's praying to God, is this the day? Is this the day that Messiah is going to walk into the temple? Every day he prays and for decades, probably, God responded, no, Simeon, this is not the day, but I want you to wait again for tomorrow. And he said, I will wait because God is reliable and he's worth waiting on. This is what we do, brothers and sisters, in all of our waiting, we're declaring that hope is alive and it's eternal. It's held by God. It's reserved for believers. And it touches us just a little bit every day. But one day it will wrap its arms fully around us. And in our waiting, we are declaring to the world that hope is coming. And it's wonderful and it's valuable, so valuable. Jesus Christ died on a cross that we would know hope. And we wait for that. Our waiting, our church attendance every Sunday is a declaration that hope is coming. You know, when you pass through events that are excruciating and painful, and the world would say, how, in the, how can you keep coming to church when God has allowed this event to come in your life? We as believers say, I am like Simeon. I am waiting on the uncertain, unfailing, reliable hope of God. And all of us today are waiting on something in regard to God's kingdom. That's what we do every day. We're waiting no matter what the headlines are. When you go home and see what headlines make the news or make the newspaper, you are saying, I'm waiting on God, but because behind every headline, behind all the darkness, God is at work advancing his kingdom, and I'm waiting to see what God is doing behind the headlines. Through our lives and our actions and those people who are serving today holding babies, people who greeted you in the parking lot, those who strum guitar, Strings, those who open their mouths, those who run wires and operate cameras, those who this week passed out pillows and blankets to needy children in the city, all of them are declaring, I am waiting on God and He is worth waiting for. And I'm going to serve Him in my waiting despite no matter how much the world tells you that your serving in the midst of waiting is insignificant. Like Simon, we believe no. I am waiting on a God who is going to come. I don't know what you're waiting on today. I know you're, I know you're waiting on something. And you may even, some of you may be waiting on a new relationship. Some of you may be waiting on a new job. Some of you in ministry may be waiting on a new calling, new focus. Some of you with disease are waiting for healing. Some of you with depression are waiting for relief. And you say, am I going to get it? Am I going to get this thing I'm waiting for? And the honest answer is, on this earth, not always. Not always. And so the question is, not on this earth, right now, am I going to get what I'm waiting for? The larger question in life is this, while I'm waiting, what kind of person am I becoming? What kind of person am I becoming while I wait, and let me just ask you that right now. I know you're waiting on, you're waiting on a, a myriad of things in your life. I just want to say, right now, in your waiting, 
Are you becoming? Are you becoming what God wants to produce in your life? Like Simeon, righteous, God-reliant, devout, God-pursuing. So he asked the Lord day after day, is he here? Is this the day? And day after day, God would say, not, not today, Simeon, not today. But then one day, he says, God, is he here today? And in walked Mary and Joseph. And God said, yes, today, Simeon, the baby that they are holding is the king of the universe. Today is the day that you have been waiting for. Now, I want you to just imagine what would have happened if Simeon, the day before, the week before, the month before, had given up hope and said, I'm not going to wait any longer in this misery. I'm not going to wait on God. I want you to think about this. Simeon would have missed the purpose for which he was born. And I wonder how many people this year in 2020, something will happen and they're going, or it happened in 2019. And they're no longer waiting on God and they're going to miss the very purpose for which they were born. But because Simeon did wait, he had a leadership role in the greatest event in history. Verse 27, moved by the Spirit. There's third time. He's got a Spirit led. He went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. Who did God assign this task to? Not somebody flippant. Not somebody double-minded. Not somebody superficial, not somebody worldly-minded. Spirit-filled, God-reliant, God-pursuing, and into that man's arms, he laid the hope of the world. And Simeon blessed him. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You want to know what it means to have peace with God? Because we throw that around all the time. Christians have peace with God. I have peace with God. Are you ready to die? I have peace with God. This is what it means to have peace with God. I'm not afraid of death. I'm ready. It's welcome. I'm not longing for it. I'm not asking for it. But it's here. And I'm ready. It's time for me to trade earth for heaven and to enjoy the peace that Jesus Christ and God the Father experience in heaven is now going to be mine forever and ever. I love this phrase, you can now dismiss your servant in peace. That's a military phrase. It was used in classical Greek literature to describe a soldier who was relieved of his post all night long, Stood watch into the fourth night, or fourth watch of the night, cold, hungry, sleepy-eyed, but he stayed awake all night, he waited, and he watched. And now the next morning, sun rises, and his commanding officer comes and said, you're relieved of your duty, you may go home. And Simeon died. 
How precious is that? We spend a lot of time in life asking why people die. There could be a beautiful answer to that. Their task on earth was completed. And it was time for them to hear their commanding officer, Jesus Christ, say, you may now go home. So now this weary, blurred, old-eyed man had seen the only person who can satisfy the needs of the world. And the reward for that is it's relieved of his post and his time to die. If your hands are busy serving Christ now, your eyes are looking to Jesus, your feet are walking in his truth, there's only one more thing that awaits you in this world, and that is to hear your commanding officer say, I relieve you of your duty. Come enjoy my peace forever. Simeon rejoices, though, that this peace is not just for him, it's for the whole world. You may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Verse 31. Which you have prepared in the sight of... Probably get an amen from Ronnie on this one. All nations. You cannot miss it. From Genesis to maps. It is there. Jesus Christ came for all peoples, all tongues... All villages, all tribes, all ethnicities, all poor, all rich, all up and out, all down and out, those in prison, those on the streets, those educated, uneducated, all nations. That's who he came for. And a light of revelation to Gentiles. Simeon's excited. Parents are excited. Look at verse 33. The child's father and mother marveled, mind blown, at what was said about their baby. I've done a lot of baby dedications. I've never said this about a child. You know what they're, you know what they're, they're like, Mary and Joseph are like standing in a museum, five stories tall, and they're looking at a painting that never ends. And it wraps all around the floor they're standing on. And it keeps going up to all five floors. It's a story that never ends. The light that shone in Bethlehem that night is going to shine into every crevice of every heart of every village throughout the world before Christ comes back. And the river of life that began in Jerusalem is going to overflow its banks and flood all the nations of the world. That's what they heard said about their baby boy. But it's not going to be easy for this gospel message to advance, and Simeon told them that. Verse 34, Then Simeon blessed them, said to Mary, his mother, very interesting that he's just talking to her now, not to Joseph. We don't see Joseph anymore after this event. 
likely that he died young in Jesus' life. So now the weight is going to be carried by Mary, and this is the charge to her. This child, Mary, your child, is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. Many people are going to be speaking against your son, Mary, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul soul too. You know, if Simeon would have just stopped talking (laughs) before this paragraph, we could have had a warm and fuzzy Christmas like we all want every Christmas to be. I mean, somebody comes to you and says, your child is going to be the light of the world. That's a good Christmas. Now, this is coming. It's more, Simeon says, it's more than shopping for gifts, more than getting together for family meals, Mary This child is going to break your heart. It's going to be costly to you, Mary. And it's going to be costly to everybody who loves Jesus. It's going to be a costly Christmas and a costly next 33 years. Again, I can't believe that I would ever speak those words at a baby dedication Your child is going to cause the rising and falling of many. Another way to state that in using our terminology today, Jesus Christ is the most revolutionary force in human history, and he is the most opposed force in human history. So Jesus has come to be the light of the world. The river of life is flowing from Jerusalem to all the nations. But in order for this to happen, in order for people to be saved in all 260 nations of the world, Jesus had to first go through Israel. And that's what what this verse is about. Israel didn't want a Messiah unless he was coming to conquer and to crush, not crucified. So they rejected him, and he revealed their thinking when he spoke. And this was, this was prophesied in the Old Testament. Jesus will be a stone that causes his people to stumble and makes them fall. Jesus is like a rock in the middle of a raging river. The floods rise And everybody who's on the rock is safe. But when Israel saw that Jesus Christ claimed to be the rock that could make them safe through his own death, they rejected him as their Messiah. And the thoughts of their hearts were revealed. You want to keep Christmas warm and fuzzy? You keep Jesus in a manger. Keep him on your fireplace in the nativity. But you let him go. You let him grow. 
And you let him start speaking of what he demands of the world and he will reveal what's in people's hearts. When he speaks, people either love him or hate him. And the Bible said it will always be this way every time a certain, every time a sermon is preached. You either love what you hear or you hate what you hear. 2 Corinthians 2.16 To the one, one group of people, we are an aroma that brings death. I hate that. Don't tell me I need to be saved. Don't tell me I'm living in sin. I hate that. I hate your message. Then to another group of people, my message that you can be forgiven, anything you've ever done can be clean, wiped off the slate, perfect new whiteboard, no marks on it because of the blood of the eraser of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So everybody, this room's already divided into two groups of people. You hate or you love the message of Christ. And Israel hated who Jesus had come to be. Some of you say, well, this doesn't really sound like a Christmas message. And I can assure you I'm probably in the minority of... Somebody asked me yesterday what you're preaching on. And I said, the sobering song of Simeon. And they said, well, that sounds festive. <laughs> if you make Christmas to be the holiday that we've created it to be, you're right. I missed it. If you let it be what it is, it's the most joyful message in the world. But it's a hard message. And that's why Simeon told Mary, a sword is going to pierce your soul, Mary, because of this boy. Do you, can you imagine what it was like to be the mother of Jesus? Again, just put away Christmas cards a minute and just think. When Jesus was born, King Herod tried to kill him. When Jesus was 30, he preached his first sermon in his hometown church, and his church tried to throw him off a cliff. When he said, I'm the light of the world, his brothers gathered around him and said, you are insane. And when he said, I am the water that gives life to all the world, the religious leader said, you are possessed by a demon. And Mary, his mother, watched all this. She heard all of this. And it pierced her heart all the way to the cross where we find her. In John 19, near the cross of Jesus, stood his mother. And I think, honestly, if I could say, how were Simeon's words most, that prophecy, how were they most fulfilled? Probably right here, moments after Jesus breathed his last, 
Roman soldier drove a spear into the side of Christ, and I think that spear went through his side and into Mary's heart. And I think that's when her heart was most pierced. So I tell you today, it was the will of God for Jesus to suffer. It was the will of God for Mary to be his mother, and therefore it was the will of God for Mary to suffer. My hope is, in times when my heart is pierced by the will of God, I need to always remember, Jesus was pierced first. But Mary didn't stop. She didn't stop saying yes to God because of that piercing. She said, yes, God, may it be done to me. I will bear your son at his birth. First, yes. Second son, she said, yes, I'll have my heart pierced at the cross. And then there was a third yes. I will wait on him as long as you say, wait. After Jesus died, placed in a tomb, rose from the dead, and he ascended to heaven. And he told all of his disciples, one more wait. Wait here in Jerusalem. I'm going to give my spirit to all of my church, and I'm going to transform the city of Jerusalem and all the nations of the world. And the Bible tells us the names of all of the disciples who gathered on the second floor of a room waiting in prayer for the promise of Jesus to send his spirit. The Bible also says there were women who were waiting with the disciples for the promise of Jesus. But strategically and beautifully, Luke bothers to tell us the name of one of those women. Acts 1.14, they all joined together constantly in prayer. This is a 10-day prayer meeting. Along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. And she was there with his brothers. So from teenage girl to grown mother, she waited on Christ. She listened to every sermon he preached. She saw the people that he healed. She agonized at his cross. And she grieved until his resurrection. And now she's gathered with his disciples, waiting for the power of the Holy Spirit to strengthen her so that she might press on to the end of her life being a faithful disciple of her son and the savior of the world. And because she waited until the end, she saw this event happen. When the day of Pentecost came, this was at the end of their 10 days of praying, Mary, right here, she could see this. They were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages. Why would they be speaking in other languages? Because look who's in Jerusalem. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews, from where? The whole world. Every nation under heaven, about 3,000 people, had their sins forgiven and came into the family of God that day. All because that verse is the fulfillment 
of one phrase that was spoken by Simeon 33 years earlier, that your son, Mary, your son, my eyes have seen your salvation, God, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. That was the verse spoken over Jesus Christ at the dedication of Jesus in the temple, fulfilled 33 years later in the sending of the Holy Spirit to the world. Mary, who once grieved, now rejoiced from her womb, from her wondering, and from her weariness, had been born the most revolutionary, most beautiful, most life-giving force in the world. The king of eternity had become the king of earth to conquer death, to conquer evil, and to welcome his family all those who would believe in her boy, God's Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? This morning as you pray, would you ask yourself a question? Why did God bring me here this Sunday morning? Why did I hear Radical, obscure text about Christmas waiting. I think it's because God is waiting for your yes to be said to Him. That you would say yes to God as Mary said yes to God. Through the pain, through the waiting, through the wondering, through the weariness. When is your addiction going to be solved? When is your relief of depression going to come? When is your marriage going to be healed? When is your wandering child going to come home? I don't know. But I know that today your sins can be forgiven. And the power of the Holy Spirit that fell on Jerusalem can come into your life. And today, God can make you the kind of person... He wants you to be. He can fill you with His righteousness. He can give you a heart that's devout, that's devoted. The old can become new. Anxiety can become the peace of heaven. If you, like Mary, would say yes. Yes to the cross. Yes to the resurrection. Yes to the Holy Spirit. And yes to waiting. Yes to waiting. Believing that hope is worth waiting for. Blood-bought hope is worth waiting for. Sovereign hope is worth waiting for. Glorious, purpose-fulfilling hope is worth waiting for. He promised He will deliver just wait another day, another week. Wait before the Lord, before an open Bible, before a spirit-filled church, before the throne of God. Wait. Your deliverance is coming. Oh, Father, would you bring someone into your kingdom, erase their past, and write for them a new future because of Christ. A baby, a perfect man, 
a crucified Savior, a triumphant, resurrected Lord, and a soon coming reigning King. Help someone today, God, say yes to Christ. In His name I pray. Amen.